back to yet another week of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens, below the line, with the movers, the shakers, the film and TV makers, the producers, the directors, the writers, the actors, the cinematographers, production designers, costume designers, film editors, sound editors, sound mixers, uh, authors, composers, you name it, we talk to them. And we've been doing a lot of talking this year, let me tell you. Uh, we've been doing a lot of talking over the past eight and a half years. Um, and we're going to do some more today. Very excited. We're going to kick off the show in just a minute here with some more ghoulish delights. But joining us at the midpoint of the show for a really interesting uh, narrative drama. Writer, director, producer, Taryn Verma. He is also a fertility pharmacist. Uh, Taryn is going to join us with his new fe feature film. It's his first drama called Conception. And he wrote and directed this based on his years of experience as a fertility pharmacist. And particularly as to the IVF expense process, emotional uh, issues that happen for couples uh, desperate to have a child. So I'm anxious to talk to Taryn about this one. Uh, but first, first... You know, I love Halloween. It's the only holiday that no one has ever screwed up for me. So don't get any ideas, people. Uh, a fun, fun family film that has just come out. It is available. Digital platforms. Um, it is called Spirit Halloween the Movie. Uh, it is beyond fun. It is family-oriented. There is no blood and gore. This is just a lot of fun. It has like a Goonies kind of vibe to it as three middle school, junior high friends spend the night locked inside a spirit Halloween store. And they find out a long legend of, in their community is actually true and the store is haunted. Now, one of the cool things about Spirit Halloween, the movie, is that Spirit Halloween is a chain of... It's, it's the largest Halloween retailer in the United States. They have over 1,450 locations of Halloween stores. Uh, and I hope my friend Melissa Howland is listening because Melissa is a, is a Halloween geek. Uh, and I bet you she knows where all 1,450 of these Spirit uh, Halloween stores are. But they teamed up with Spirit Halloween, made their store available. Uh, you know, the other week we talked with Raven Magwood about the Haunted Trail, where the people that ran a Haunted Trail in South Carolina, they opened up their facility. Well, Spirit Halloween stores did the same thing in Georgia. And David Pogue, director, took a script from Billy Bates and turn this into its fun little so, some scares but the really cool part about spirit halloween the movie is number 1 the haunting is being done by none other than doc brown himself christopher lloyd marla gibbs pops up in here and a big part of the film is shot in underground caverns Yes, real underground caverns. This in and of itself is a directorial feat from a production standpoint uh, to, dra you know, to bring down lighting and cameras and set dress. There was actually a set piece that was built in the caverns. And there is one scene where Marla Gibbs is actually in there. And lo and behold, because she is in her 90s now, um, and to go as far down as they had to, down all of these uh, rocky steps, so to speak, she had to be carried down. So Herculean efforts to put a lot of this film together, but it all comes together beautifully as we go through the scares uh, on Halloween night with these friends, with some ghosts, and with everything in Spirit Halloween store coming to life. 
to be creepy and cool. So I had so much fun talking with David Polk about Spirit Halloween. Uh, and you'll hear, that just in his voice, he had so much fun making the film. So without any further ado, take a listen to my exclusive interview with director David Pogue talking about Spirit Halloween. Hi, David. Hey, Debbie. This is a heck of a film to use as your feature film debut. <laughs> Thank you. If you're going to make a debut, make it a holiday film. That way you're guaranteed reruns every year at least once. Be the dream, yes. So you, you started well with that. And this is very family-oriented. This is not yeah. hacker slasher blood and gore. This is the the whole family. I would say down to probably like five years old. I think so. Could yeah. sit down and watch this film and be thoroughly entertained. It's a perfect film to even be watching while you're passing out candy on, on Halloween. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, that, I mean, it, it kind of, kind of um, uh, what would I say, humble ambitions for it. I mean, I wanted to make uh, a really fun slumber party Halloween movie for my 10-year-old self. You know, I think that, that kind of sums it up. What? After reading the script, that's what it made me feel like. How did this script find its way to you? Um, the script had quite a journey, to be honest. I, I, uh, I only know the cliff notes. Um, Billy Bates, I know, wrote it several years ago. Uh, she was great to work with. She, she, um, she's Australian, you know, and, and um, Halloween wasn't a big thing over there, not like it is here. So I think coming to America and starting a family, she was impressed with how excited people got about Halloween. And she was, uh, she wanted to write a movie that her kids could could enjoy. And she, you know, it was kind of honestly inspired uh, very simply by her kids' infatuation with going to Spirit Halloween stores. You know, so it was, it was, uh, she, she didn't, she had no idea if, if, you know, the script would ever get made or if Spirit Halloween would actually, you know, partner with her or, or, or if it would have to become kind of, reformulated for a different store you know a generic halloween mm -hmm. store but she uh, you know i think she won some film festival awards uh on the script just just kind of circling the script through the community um it finally found its way to hideout pictures uh here in nashville tennessee uh where uh, is which is my connection to it I've, i have a, a good you know long work, working relationship with those guys i've all in the music video world, um, uh, some commercial work, you know, everything short form. Um, mm -hmm. And the Shannon uh, Houchings and Patsy Ponsaroli over there, they were really excited about this movie and called me up and, and asked if I could take a swing at it, you know. And, I, and I, you know, they really got behind me. They kind of had to help. Um, there were several other strike back studios, uh, particular crowd. There were several entities attached to it, and, and Hideout kind of went to bat for me as a first-timer. Um, but, you know, uh, eventually eventually we got it off the ground and, and went for it, and then the next step was trying to get Spirit Halloween involved, you know, because that, <laughs> that was going to be a big asset, just kind of being able to work with them versus trying to create our own thing, mm -hmm. you know. And, uh, and I gotta say, they were great to work with. They, they, it took a little bit of hand-holding to get them on board. You know, I think it's the first time they'd ever done something like this. They didn't know how it would work. You know, their, their first gut reaction was like, oh my gosh, we need to put you together the best Spirit Halloween store that's ever been made. You know what I mean? Um, and it kind of had to walk them back. No, the stories, of, you know, it needs to be kind of a, you know, a rundown, simple store that, that comes up in a weird part of town. And, you know, it's like kind of lean into, I think, what a lot of the Spirit Halloween fan base likes about their stores. You know, mm -hmm. they kind of haunt, haunt spaces seasonally. Um, but once they were, you know, totally got the creative and what we were going for, it felt like we were just working with a, a bunch of people that loved Halloween and they were excited to be part of it. And, and, uh, you know, there was no, I, I was a little worried, is this going to become, you know, are they going to be like, oh, we have to see this monster and we have to do this and we have to do this. But they were just really had a, a light a light touch on everything and we're happy to see it come together. Well, so that was fun. The collaboration well, was fun, I'd say. Once you got the script and you had to look at this from a directorial standpoint and break it down, 
where do you even start? Because so much of this is visual, and on top of the store itself and the shenanigans that go on within the store proper, you've also got this whole network of underground caves and uh, a cabin and things like that. So I'm curious, from a directorial, directorial standpoint, how you broke this down to approach it. Because I know you've got a background in cinematography through, you know, documentaries and shorts, and you've done editing, so you have a good command of the cinematic language as to how you can rely on your departments to pull things yeah. together. And because of the very distinct aspects of this film, I'm curious how you went about approaching this. Um, thank you very much for the kind words. I, yeah, it was quite a daunting feat, really. I mean, the biggest challenges were this, this was very much a low-budget film. We, you know, we, I think we shot 21 days. You know, I mean, it, it's, uh, so, so time and resources were against us, like, like any indie film. Um, the, the best thing I had in my corner, a, a long, a long time friend, we actually met as PAs on our first film ever, uh, as, uh, Andy Kugler, who was the director of photography on this. Mm -hmm. Um, I started talking to him almost immediately, uh, and luckily he got on board with me and, and, you know, so I really felt like we collaborated on the visuals and it was really comforting i do a lot of dp work myself it, it, but it was really comforting to have somebody who i had such a close personal relationship with in that role you know and, and just complete confidence and trust um but so so we went you know we just had a lot of discussions because on the page this could have been you know one of those 30 million dollar uh franchise movies yep. you, you know it had all it, it had the it had the capacity for that and we didn't have the resources for that so it was like how are we going to lean into this subject matter and actually be able to tell this story as fun as possible um you know in our limited way and, and uh but we really wanted to go the first the first idea was to go old school with it you know like we we both enjoy the older the you, you know the, the older more traditional films anyway and this felt like one of those classic adventure films made in the 80s made you know there, there's just i think there's a there was an era um that, that a lot of people have a lot of nostalgia and fondness for and it's for a reason you know and, and so we wanted to lean into a simpler style of filmmaking we wanted to we knew we weren't going to have a big uh, capacity for a bunch of CGI or VFX, you know, so very early on we decided this has to be guys in suits, you know, for our monsters. Um, and so we kind of had to cast animatronics that could accommodate that, turn, you know, to turn them into costumes mm -hmm. uh, that could be worn, because a lot of Spirit Halloween's animatronics are so wild, you know, there's no way they could be a costume. So that, that kind of limited uh, which ones we cast. Um, which was a lot of fun. And it's just better, you know, it's better to be chased down a dark hallway by a real thing versus having these young actors, you know, acting to a green screen or to thin air. And, and so we just, we just tried to go as practical as possible, as, as simple and efficient as we could with the coverage. Um, and also some of the stuff you mentioned, um, came you know kind of evolved as we started prepping and scouting i mean in the original script they did go they found a trap door and they went underneath the store into kind of a a tunnel network and came up in a warehouse but on scouting for tunnels we found this cave uh you know we were shooting in a little town called rome georgia um you know and 20 minutes away there's a town called cave springs georgia and it has this real cave in it that just blew our minds and and event, you know the, it just immediately felt like the Goonies or something. You know, it's like, okay, mm -hmm. we have to make it work. Um, and so we kind of stitched together that whole underground adventure. I think that's four or five separate locations that we Wow. Yeah, you know, just because it's, it, it's a little bit, you know, maybe it's, it's borderline um, absurd that the, they, they keep, this adventure keeps unfolding in front of them. But again, for, through, the, through the eyes of a, a nine or a 10 year old, I think it's a lot of fun think that that really broke us out a little bit yeah i absolutely agree with that and the underground cave sequences i think are spectacular and this is where your production designer ruby Gadara, it, it mm. should have been a real asset to you because 
Ruby was the art director on The Rock. Ruby is a, yeah, Ruby is, a, I like to call her a wizard. You know, she's like, she has magical powers. I mean, she, <laughs> she, is, she is this force of nature that is like always on the phone uh, with one hand and a paintbrush in the other hand and just, just makes things happen. Um, she, uh, you know, again, that cave sequence came together very last minute upon opportunistically finding the cave, and she, uh, the witch's hut that's found down there, kind of the little, the, where, the, where the little girl, you mm -hmm. know, there's, there's, you can go wherever you want with the legend, but in my mind, the little girl in the beginning uh, was a protege of the witch, and this was kind of her little playhouse down in the cave, um, and she... I mean, she made that from scratch out of found pieces. And she, the store, we had to kind of develop a, a hybrid store. We, we shot in a real um, Spirit Halloween location. Mm -hmm. there. But we had to add several different set pieces to make the story work. Um, th there's a lot of things that she did inside the store and stuff she created completely from scratch, but still had to feel like it was part of the Spirit Halloween store. Uh, and, and just, you know, we, we were working so fast, it was all coming together real time. Uh, but she was another just absolute rock and could not, I, I couldn't have done it without her. You know, I mean, that, that's the biggest thing I learned on this is just you, you are your team. And, uh, you know, you're at the mercy of your team and, and a good team is just the most valuable thing in the world. So. Well, something that, because of the witches in the underground, witches' house, that is teeny tiny. And then you have caverns to navigate. You actually set up some of the set pieces within the store. Not much navigation room there. <laughs> how, how challenging was this logistically for Andy getting in these places with the camera and with any necessary lighting? Yeah. Yeah, very. I mean, everything was practical. We, we didn't have a single soundstage set. The cave is a real cave. It's, it's dark and muddy and, you know, as, as it looks. And um, the store, you know, again, a lot of the a lot of the um, movie happens in the store with the lights off. Mm -hmm. so we had to kind of come up with a plan. We, we, we set up our we spent a lot of time kind of designing our layout of the store and where things would happen based on a view towards the windows and we could motivate maybe some some light from the windows from the parking lot and, th and things like that but it was all it had to be very intentional and very efficient just because we didn't have a lot of time we had a small team in the cave we made really good use of um uh, just some of this new modern technology on lighting some of these led battery powered lights mm -hmm. uh, that give a lot of flexibility. We, you know, we weren't we weren't piping everything out to a generator, you know, 500 feet away. Uh, we didn't, you know, it would have been. We didn't really have the crew size to. That would have been the challenge of itself. Just all the distro involved. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we just did everything we could with with smaller tools. But it was challenging, uh, <laughs> as you know, just just getting getting the gear down there, getting the people down there. Uh, being able to light it, being able to see what we were doing and, and maintain safety. I mean, our uh, one of the monsters, Nightcrawler, um, was played by um, a girl named Lisbeth, uh, Lisbeth Nicolette, but she's a professional contortionist, you know, mm -hmm. so she's walking upside down and backwards with the mask turned around, and she's going down slippery cave steps. She's going down old factory stairs, you know, and, and um, all of that was was real and just took took human talent to, <laughs> to pull off. But, I was curious yeah. I was curious about that. That was yeah. uh, Nightcrawler was very impressive. Very impressive. <laughs> I think that ups the scare factor. That's, that's the that is little kids hiding their eyes on it, so. But you also have a really fabulous sequence in there where Kate, beautifully played by Marissa Reyes, where Kate is the conductor of all of the animatronics and everything within the store itself as everything is popping out from everywhere. The ugliest clowns imaginable, yeah. creatures. That is a really great scene. Oh, was, I'm so happy you like that. So, was yeah, that all practical? It's practical. I mean, there's a lot of winks and smiles to Evil Dead in there. Yep. Um, but I mean, that, that's as old school as fishing line and lightning gags and fans and uh, everything we could think of there's no i think the only cgi in that whole sequence is um 
when Kate blows back the rubber bouncy balls at Bo. Mm-hmm. Um, every, everything else is, is wind and lightning and fishing line and, and people hiding behind boxes and puppeteers. And, you know, it was just, it was, it was that kind of thing. I mean, we had two days, not even a full two days to shoot that sequence. And I was terrified it wasn't going to work. You know, it was just like, I, I don't think there's a single unused shot in this whole movie. That's how kind of lean and mean we were. I, I had, you know, people ask, are there some deleted scenes we could see? You know, it's like, I felt like the whole thing, we just got by the skin of our teeth. Uh, but, but, you know, it was because of the, everyone was, was working hard to make it happen. Well, something that, that you didn't have to work too hard at, uh, or maybe you did, was in putting this cast of kids together. Jaden Smith, Dylan Martin Frankel, Donovan Cullen, and Marissa Reyes. They have such a wonderful camaraderie, especially the three boys. You do you believe that they have grown up together. They are now at a crossroads. There's always gonna be one who thinks he's, you know, more macho and older than he really is. So all of these traits are captured so well so that Kids that are watching the film, teens that are watching the film, preteens, they're going to be able to relate and connect with at least one of these characters. Was casting this group difficult? Because they are the core ensemble here. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm really happy they're coming across. Um, it was difficult. I mean, for one, it was it was rushed. It's the whole thing. You know, I think I had two weeks of casting. And I was watching Zoom auditions from all over the country. Our, our casting directors did a really good job of, of uh, bringing in people from all over. But just imagine, you know, if the ask was boys 12 to 14, imagine what a wide range that is. You know, you, you, have, you have boys that look like they're seven. You have boys that already have mustaches. You know, you're, you're kind of all over the map. Um, and, I, and also the second challenge that I discovered was just the... the the kids, you know, around the country that are auditioning for movies, a lot of them are already kind of have this hyped up ego or, or uh, you know, they're, they're, they're already doing a lot of sitcom work and are overly confident and kind of overly slick and just don't feel real. I mean, I remember in, in middle school, that's a messy and awkward time. You know, it, it's not, you know, I don't think anybody looks back at middle school and be like, man, I was the coolest kid ever, you know. And so I was really trying to find three boys that did feel genuine to me and felt like they could be genuine friends and were a bit unrefined, you know, so, so, so kids would relate to them and they wouldn't seem like some sort of unattainable uh, figure. Yeah, no, they are, and, they're wonderful. Yeah, you got so lucky with them, really. I mean, they all, I think all three boys are from the East Coast. Uh, Marissa's from, uh, she's from California. She was one of the first case. I looked at a ton of case and Marissa just stood out from the very beginning. Um, I had them come down about a week early. Uh, you know, I pushed for it for rehearsal time, but I, secretly I just wanted the kids to be able to hang out and get to know each other. Uh, we were shooting in this great little small town called Rome, Georgia. So it was very friendly. Like the kids were, they were riding bicycles around the neighborhood and, and I was happy to see them. I, you know, I really felt like behind the scenes, they became the friends that they are in the movie. Um, and so that comes across for sure. There's just their comfort level with each other. That's one of the most endearing parts of the film, and that really gives it that whole Goonies vibe. In addition to the cave, it's that camaraderie of the kids that yeah. really, it's the glue here. But now for you as a director, how exciting was it for you to get Christopher Lloyd and Marla Gibbs? It was surreal. It was completely <laughs> surreal. I mean, you know, I, I, I had no... Uh, power as far as like uh, you know landing them I had no clout whatsoever but um, when they were on the table I, you know there was a, there was a handful of people on the table you know uh, and I just 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 hoped and prayed and said oh you know Christopher Lloyd yes Marla Gibbs yes please 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 and I was just hoping that they would say yes to the project but it was, um, I mean, I was born in the 80s. I, I've watched Christopher Lloyd my entire life. He's been a legend of mine, it's, uh, you know, uh, a legend to me my entire life. Uh, so to to meet him, to work with him, to talk to him on the phone leading up to the shoot, all of that was, was surreal. And um, he's just as, as polite and gentlemanly as you would hope he is, you know, and it, it did not feel like a, a big Hollywood star 
throwing a little movie a bone. It did, you know, he came down. Uh, we had a lot of conversations about the script and who his character was. And on the day, I remember I had to, I, I looked back behind me and there was a crowd of people that had formed in the, in the field, you know, while he's performing some of that opening scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the whole film set was kind of, was kind of starstruck. And I had to shoot them all the way out of his eye line because he was too polite to ask for that, you know. Aww. So it was great. And Marla Gibbs, man, I mean, <laughs> she's 91, or at least she was when we shot this last year. And uh, she is just couldn't be more graceful. She has this funny little smile and twinkle in her eye, you know, kind of like she would let me explain everything, you know, real nice, and then say, "Okay, I got this." You know, uh, I, I mean, we had to uh, we had to take her down into this cave uh, for one of the final scenes, and I thought, "There's no way she's she's not you know she's not going to go, or her people aren't going to let her." And um, she was just smiling the entire time, and oh. really, you know, I think everyone just had a lot of fun knowing what type of movie we were making. I think that wasn't lost on anybody, cast or crew, and so that allowed everyone to just enjoy it, you know. Rachel Lee Cook, she was also just just fantastic to work with. Um, she was on set longer than, than both of those two, and just, you know, was just really excited to be making a movie that her kids would enjoy and, you know, love the script, and was not, there was, there was never any sense of, attitude or ego from anybody that was in this movie mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of fun you can build up your own ego a little bit now david because now you've got <laughs> your first narrative feature under your belt and that's always daunting that's you know making your first feature and jumping from shorts into features a lot is is the same but then there's another learning curve involved now that Spirit Halloween, the movie is done and out there for everybody to enjoy. What did you learn about yourself as a oh, filmmaker wow. that you yeah. can now take forward into future projects, be they narrative features or shorts? Sure. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it, it was. It's been quite a quite a learning journey. I I, I knew this was going to be really hard looking at it and. and I, you know, I've been in film production uh, probably 15, 16 years. You know, I, I thought I had a really good idea what I was getting into, and it was at least 10 times harder than I thought it would be. You know, I mean, we, we certainly had production challenges. We had we had things go wrong. We had locations pull out. All, all those little things that happen on, on small movies that are coming together quickly. Um, so I learned a lot about just... I think I learned a lot about preparation and pivoting and um, emotional reactions to things. You know, it gets so intense and and feels impossible when you're inside of it. Really, all the way through it. I mean, I, I'm just coming out of it. We've been we've been we shot this November, December, January last year. It was kind of spread out a little bit because we broke for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, I've been very involved in post all year, even though I've still been working. You know, I work as a kind of a commercial music video DP as, uh, by day, and so I've been working all year, but all my spare time has gone into finishing this movie. Um, and on the other side of it, I, I just have such a better perspective of the whole picture, and I feel so much more prepared to tackle a new project. You know, um, I think it, it, it beats you down and it feels impossible and you think, oh my God, I'll never do this again, you know, but as you, as, as all of that finishes and heals, you know, you all, it's just, I feel empowered really. You know, I've, I've had challenges, challenging commercial and music video jobs this year that would have stressed me out a lot more uh, before I did this film and I feel a little bit more battle-hardened now, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, like things things don't get to me like they did and 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 it's exciting it's so fun to just really sink your teeth into a long project with a with a talented group of people and try to tell a story i'd say that's that's more satisfying than anything else i've done i'm so glad that you have made the leap that you survived the leap and it's a cute film and it is it's for families there aren't a lot of Halloween kind of films out there that families can sit down and watch together, short of like Disney Halloween Town series, but it's a cute, cute film, and 
Hey, it's set up perfectly for a sequel. <laughs> yes, you never know. You oh. never know. Oh, David. One at a time. <laughs> well, you got one under your belt. Now we'll aim for two. Yeah. Oh. David, this has been so wonderful getting to talk with you about Spirit Halloween, the movie. I hope we get to speak again in the future. I would love that. I appreciate all the kind words. I really do. Oh, David, thank you so much. And you have a great rest of your day. All right, you too. And that was David Pogue, director of Spirit Halloween, the movie. It's out now. VOD, and I think digital as well, but definitely VOD, and there may be some holdovers from the limited theatrical uh, that uh, came out September 30th. Before I jump to our next guest, though, just want to point out while we're in a Halloween-y kind of mood, make sure you check out opening this Friday on the 21st. Slayers, Asher Levin is back <laughs> directing another film. Uh, Slayers, it, it, trust me, it's killer fun, and it just, pardon the pun, but it just slays me. Uh, it is delicious, divine, great cast, Thomas Jane, Kara Hayward, Jack Donnelly, Lydia Hurst, Mullen Ackerman, Adam Ambruso, Abigail Breslin, see it, see it, see it, Vampire's Delight. Uh, also... Out right now, Loneliest Boy in the World, and it, tomorrow it's available on demand and digital. Directed by the wonderful Martin Owen and starring Max Harwood. And if you miss Max Harwood and everybody's talking about Jamie, well, everybody's going to be talking about Max after seeing him in that and in Loneliest Boy in the World. And it's, you know, we got a few semi-dead people wandering around in a very kitschy pink and seafoam green world. Um, it is, the film is an absolute delight. Uh, we've got graveyard scenes. It's a lot of fun. But watching Max uh, carry this film again, as he did with Jamie, is just astounding. Astounding. And I actually... Got to sit down for my first in-person interviews on Friday since March of 2020. I've been doing all these interviews over the phone for over two years now. But finally, in person, sat down with Martin and Max. And this is the third time Martin and I have chatted. And every time we're, we're doing Skype. And he always says, next time in person. Well, we finally got our next time. And trust me, I couldn't have kicked off going back to in-person interviews with a better pair than Martin and Max and their joy in making this film and their collaboration comes through on the screen. So you can see that in Loneliest Boy in the World. You can see in theaters now, tomorrow on demand in digital, Slayers, Vampires, Friday, theaters on demand in digital, Spirit Halloween the movie right now on VOD. Get your Halloween on, people. There's a lot of good stuff out there. All right, now we're going to switch gears into something serious. Um, and I'm so thrilled to welcome to Behind the Lens, Taryn Verma, writer, director, producer, and fertility pharmacist. Welcome, Taryn. Well, thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled. What a film. But first... You got to answer the big question. How do you go from fertility pharmacist to filmmaker? Wow. Okay. So um, I was actually a filmmaker back in undergrad and, um, you know, life took me down the medical route. And so, you know, I thought, hey, you know, movies are for other people. They're, they're not for people like me. So I ended up becoming a pharmacist. And, um, you know, the thing about it is, is I think if you truly love something, it starts bubbling up under you if yes. you're not doing it. And eventually, I had to go back to filmmaking. I took, a, I think, a 10-year hiatus or something of that sort, and I just couldn't take it anymore. I had to make <laughs> movies. I had to start writing again. And that's why I'm, I'm both now. I'm a pharmacist and a filmmaker. Well, and the good thing is that in that 10 years, I bet it was nice to have a real-life job that paid the bills. 
<laughs> well, that was actually a huge part of it. Uh, um, yeah, I figured. Of... <laughs> um, you know, I was told to go to L.A. after undergrad. I had a lot of buddies that did that. I went to a university that's a big film school out in the University of Texas in Austin. And uh, they were like, go to New York, go to L.A. And for some reason, I had a dad who really kept me in line. And I'm kind of glad he didn't let me go because I ended up going to pharmacy school. And through that, I realized with what I make in pharmacy, I could help seed fund a lot of my projects. Mm -hmm. And so it ended up being a blessing in disguise. That's fabulous. That is fabulous. And, you know, the fact that, and I'm guessing that part of what you've made helped seed uh, the making of conception, especially the short, because you started with a short, which it 45 minutes or so for your short, not really a short, but not quite a feature. Yeah. So you were kind of betwixt and between there. Um, but talk to me about the whole idea of this film, Conception. It really focuses around uh, in vitro fertilization, uh, you bring up a lot of issues. You bring up the emotional wear and tear on a couple, on an individual, the medical wear and tear, the financial wear and tear. You got a nice little nod thrown in there, you know, a little dig at the insurance companies that they don't pay for very these very expensive drugs. Um, you really cover a lot of territory, but at the core of this is a couple that wants a baby, a woman more desperate than her husband. And that journey that they go on over the course of a couple of years. Um, this is so compelling. It's so interesting. Uh, and the film is so engaging. It's not, you know, dour. It's not depressing. You get frustrated at times watching it. Um, I particularly felt very, very sorry for the husband. Uh, but <laughs> it, there is so much here to unpack in this film. And I just love how you have put this all together and shined a light on this issue. Just really well done, Taryn. Thank you so much. So this film, at the heart of it, is um, I wanted to, to really honor all of my patients that I've interacted with. I mean, this film is a collection of their stories, mm -hmm. their emotions, their, their plight, their struggles, because it is not easy. No. And so, to, you know, more than anything, you know, this was an independent film. We didn't have a ton of money. So I couldn't make this as medical-based as I wanted it to. And so at the heart of it, it really is just, it's a marital film, right? Yes. Um, like any other. And so, except the bad guy here is IVF. It's not each other. You right. know, that's the one thing I wanted to drive home is this process of IVF or, or even just having children is so hard that, you know, it's not the husband that, that's at fault. It's not the wife that's at fault. It doesn't matter if their bodies aren't really working together well. It's this this other thing that's the bad guy, not them. And that's what I wanted to focus on with the characters and the layering and the way I wrote everything is I wanted you to walk away not going, oh, I hated him for what he did to her or whatever. You, you wanted to feel sorry for both and you wanted to feel optimistic for both, but also at the same time, see the reality of it. It's hard on both people, albeit much harder on a woman, but it's still hard for, for the man too during this process. Well, and that's something, I mean, your characters of Amy and Vic, and, and Vic, I really, my heart went out to him because the longer they were going on this journey to have a child, um, the more the more obsessive Amy was becoming. Obsession yeah. really played into this, and obsession consumed her. And you see this poor husband who definitely loves his wife, but there's nothing that he can do, and she wants nothing to do with him. And this is all she can think about. She's let herself go. You've done a great job with the hair and makeup and whatnot, because when we first meet Amy, she's a successful architect. She is dressed to the nines, flawless makeup, hair perfectly combed and coiffed. And as we see her over the declension in her, the decline in her own self-care, 
Yeah, she's taking vitamins, but and all of these drugs, whether they work or not, um, and homeopathics, but she's really just forgotten about herself and everything else. And and that's so and that's sad. That's what kind of happens with everyone, yeah. right? Once you get so focused on something, you tend to lose yourself. And that's you know the hope is that when you're married, that. The other person helps pull you out of that, prevents you from going that far or getting that far down deep. But in this case, it's just so hard to not keep going down that rabbit hole, right? And then it's hard for the other spouse to pull you out once you go down in because it's we're talking about kids. I yeah. mean, I don't know if you have kids. I have two. You know, imagining your life without your children, is it's a hard, hard, hard thing to ask. And so imagine a couple that just can't have it. It's devastating. Yeah, I've I've known some some couples that could not have gone through the IVF process, and they went through it once, and financially they couldn't afford to do it another time. So then they went the adoption yeah. route. Uh, okay, fantastic. So and you know, and that's something you also bring up here. It's like we've spent all this money, you've gone through all of this, nothing has worked. You want a kid that we can adopt, we can have a surrogate, and then that's where you really see obsession and, and you know, mental fatigue uh, and even a touch of insanity when we see Amy just blow up. No, I don't want a surrogate. No, no, I don't want to adopt. It won't have any of us in it. And, you know, part of you just, you hear that and you go, all right. She needs somebody needs to reel her back in. Yeah. Um, and you handled that scene really, really well. Um, and that, but that one really it sticks out in my mind because you know this there are there are other options, and but some people just don't want to hear them. And, that, and it's a very real thing. Yeah. That, that discussion at the end, I wanted to make sure it was still grounded. I didn't want you to feel like, oh, now you kind of lost me. They're a little bit out, you know, in a different range over here. No, no, no. Like, these are real yeah. discussions that couples are having. And it's very much real. Like, I've had guys come up to me and go, I've had that exact same discussion with my wife before. That's insane. And I've had women come to me and go, that scene hits just so differently to me. And it's like, yep, that was, I didn't want to go over the top with it. Yeah. You didn't go over the top with anything in this film, Taryn. You didn't Thank you. you didn't go over the top with anything. I think you actually could have even pushed a little more in certain areas. And still and not, you know, and not alienated anyone, so to speak. I really think you could have even, you know, pushed a little a little harder with it. Um, that, that's always a tricky thing as a yeah. filmmaker, right? You never know how far to pull your punches or how much, how powerful to go with it. Um, but you know, the thing was we wanted this for a mass appeal. And so mm -hmm. at, at some, at some point I did pull my punches. You're absolutely right. I think I could have hit even harder, but I didn't want yeah. to alienate people. I wanted people to watch this, even if they had nothing to do with children or fertility, even if they've never gone down this route, they could just enjoy the movie. And I felt like if I gave it more teeth, I think I would have alienated people. But it's good to hear that you think the opposite. You think I yeah, probably I, could have, and I would have been fine. Yeah, I think so. I definitely think so. Because you've got a lot of strong suits going here. And I'm curious how, what kind of, you know, tightrope you had to walk here. Because, yes, this... The story is based on the experiences of your own patients uh, as a fertility pharmacist. So you draw from all of that. You're bringing in the emotion. You're trying not to alienate people. You're bringing the cost, uh, the insurance issues, but you don't want to, you know, make this seem like only rich people can do this. Uh, but right. then above all, where I really have to commend you is with your medical accuracy. I am so impressed by that, that you really, you stuck to that. Uh, and I mean, I, I had to. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are a lot of yeah, filmmakers that wouldn't. Now, and you know this, there are a lot that wouldn't. They would have sugarcoated or they would have, you know, fantasized it and taken lots of liberties for the narrative film. You didn't. 
And that I mean, speaks I, volumes. Thank you. I lived and breathed that for so long that I couldn't fudge some of those details. You know, I had to make sure that there was, I was completely accurate to the science part of it and also the science, like the emotions of it, you know, mm-hmm. um, you, you just couldn't, you couldn't funny money that stuff because no. then, then the audience sees right through it and it looks disingenuous. You know, how challenging was it when you sat down to write this script? How challenging was it to hit all the beats that you wanted to, to achieve on the page and walk that fine line? And then once you had it on the page, then bring it to life on screen. Because that, with a topic like this, it could have gone so wrong so quickly. <laughs> you are absolutely correct. So um, I wrote, for actually for about two years, I didn't write this script. This story was just sitting in my head. And I, and I kept thinking, I'm not qualified to write this thing. I'm not qualified to make this thing. There should be a woman filmmaker who should make this film. It's a, it's a woman's story. It should be made by a woman, not me. Now, two years went by, and the story was just sitting in my head. And I was hoping that one day I would watch it on Netflix somewhere. And I'd go, hey, okay, great. I don't need to write this thing. I don't need to make this. Look, <laughs> someone did it. And she did a fantastic job. I just didn't see that for two years. And so when the pandemic happened, I had that opportunity to go, okay, the whole world shut down. We now have time to focus on what we want to do. And so I wrote this story. And so we made the short. And so the character of Vic, um, he was already with me. Mm -hmm. We had done a film before. And so I knew that I wanted him to play this role. So I wrote it with his voice in mind. And um, we started making this in the pandemic. And along the way, I found Simran, who plays Amy. And she just sort of had this darkness to her that I think just really just kind of came through in the characters. And so while we were making a short, I saw these two people doing this thing because I had never made a drama before. I do comedy. Mm-hmm. That's, that's I'm a comedy writer. <laughs> and uh, same with Vic, the guy who plays Vic. He does comedies with me. He's not a dramatic actor. And Simran, it was my first time working with her. But when I saw us doing the short and we were rehearsing it, we, we did blocking rehearsals, I started seeing what they were giving me. And I went, oh, I can fully unlock this story for what it can be because mm-hmm. the short was different it was very different than what we saw um and so i was able to really go through and go okay she can handle the wide variety of emotions that a woman goes through i can now make this to 100 percent of what this is supposed to be so and which you probably couldn't even tell uh the 45 minutes of the short is actually in the movie i didn't reshoot anything that's all footage smart that's incorporated move. into each other smart move economic and expeditious Oh, I had to. I had to be extremely <laughs> smart with it. So the short was fully funded by me. So that was quite a bit of money that came out of my pocket. Um, once I saw the actors doing what they were doing, I went to my wife. Because, you know, it's never a, a one-person decision, right, with right. this stuff. I went to my wife and I go, look look at them. Like, look what we got. They're giving me something amazing here. And she goes, do it. Do it. Like, you know, spend what you need to. And so I spent quite a bit on the short. And uh, we ended up with 45 minutes of what I thought was really good gold. And um, so then it was really easy because then I went to investment groups and I said, hey, we don't have a trailer. We don't have a concept. I have half a movie done, people. (laughs) Give me the money to make the other half and let's go. And within the first week of me pitching it, I got the money because again, it it was an easy sell. So, But what I did was I blended the footage. So the actors kind of changed their faces and their bodies a little bit and I had to make them come back to what they were doing and match up their bodies a bit. And that's what we did. And I bet you could never even tell that footage was no. taken a year apart. No. And I watched every frame of this film, right to, as I do with everything, right to the bitter end and the final credit when the screen went black. Um, <laughs> I never would have known. But, you know, what I have seen is through the pandemic, other directors have done something similar and taken shorts, and they have been able to weave it in with, you know, additional footage that they got to complete a narrative and I love seeing that because it's a testament to you as a filmmaker and your creativity that you have the forethought that maybe you're going to be able to do this maybe you might need to do this but then when push comes to shove it's like I can make this work so it really I I love seeing that in a director and especially with you and this particular film and then coming out of comedy and doing a drama like this, 
speaks even higher of you, Taryn, as uh, to what you're bringing to the table here, what you have on the page, and then what you're eliciting from your actors. Um, Thank you so much. I mean, it really, the authenticity and genuineness of emotion in this film, it's palpable, very palpable. Um, But I'm curious, as you're shooting, you got your cinematographer, Jeffrey Fountain, I have to tell you, the two of you, what you did, I think, was so smart. You kept your visual tone light and bright because of the subject matter, which does go dark. Um, Not pitch dark down to uh, the never-ending abyss dark, but you get dark here with the subject matter. But you keep the visuals light and bright to maintain a tonal balance. But then what you and Jeffrey also do that I just love is the metaphor that you create of the walls closing in and things becoming claustrophobic for Vic and Amy as every time it's, no, I'm not pregnant, no, I'm not pregnant, and the camera moves in tighter. And we no longer have the big spacious house. Uh, Everything, it's now crammed into a, a narrow hallway that, keeps looking narrower or a tiny bathroom or just the shower stall and you use the camera to convey emotion and to thank you so much for catching that because not a lot of people understood it i think they felt it because everything gets so claustrophobic towards the end it adds to the tension but not many people picked out that that's how we did it so you i mean obviously you watch a ton of films you know all the time but you caught it so that's that's amazing it's good to see people appreciate some of the 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 nuances that we put in these films and that's so important and then also your color palette you know when we first meet amy and she's in her office it's a very strong color palette with the dark teal dark teal walls um you've got the brick in there apartment or condo that they live in and then we go into a house that's brick on the outside uh, which is a beautiful neighborhood you shot this in by the way uh but the interiors the walls they're white they're light they're bright they're a, a new canvas to be painted upon so to speak so you have this wonderful metaphor happening through this whole film visual metaphor and i think it's it's just fabulous that Thank you, you. Have done I mean, that. We went backwards. So the, yeah. the short actually starts with them starting in the doctor's office. So that's where the short starts. And pretty much that point for the end of the movie is what you saw. That's the short. Mm. Um, so I had already shot it to claustrophobic. And also it was cheaper to shoot that. When I thought about expanding the story, it was about, okay, you know, we can't make it this dark for an hour and 40 minutes. we got to make it lighter. So right. I, I went, but you know what? an amateur director is going to screw this up. And I, I will I will probably screw this up if I start with a rom-com and I descend into a heavy drama, but I got obsessed with the idea of doing that. So I went, okay, we're going to do this carefully. From the clothes to their acting to even the spatial stuff. So yeah, you're right. In the beginning, the world is open to them. Mm-hmm. We're, we're outside a lot. It's yeah. vibrant, the color palette, the spaciousness too. It just lends to this world that's open and free. And then as we sort of descend into the darkness, everything closes in on them. The color palette closes in yep. on it, too. And we even color grade it in a way where everything looks a little bit more bleak as the color moves forward. So that was all by design. And that was the fun of it when you shot the back half of the movie and you go, OK, well, we have to shoot the first half of the movie now. How do we do that? And mm-hmm. it's when you start, that's when you have those conversations that we, you just discussed about color palettes and space and things like that. And so that was a lot of fun to work with. Yeah, I mean, it just, and you carry it into the costume too, such as, you know, Amy's power suit she's wearing at the beginning, you know, her pencil skirts, uh, and then she gets really loose and sloppy and dark sweats and, and you know, workout gear. Um, yep. The darker she gets, the darker and messier her clothes and her hair get. So you follow this through, you know, on every level, Taryn. I just, I just love the thought that you put into that. Now, I'm really, I'm really curious about your work with your editor, with John DeJesus. How challenging was the edit of this film? Because 
it's like you run the risk of holding a shot of Amy breaking down too long or, you know, Vic being too disgusted at the cost every when he picks up prescriptions and sees the credit card receipt. Um, you run the risk. So you had to be really judicial uh, in your editing. How difficult was it for you and John to find that balance and that pace here? Uh, it wasn't as bad. Um, I, I kind of arranged when we were shooting everything, I knew that tonality was, was probably at the top of my list. I went, mm. you know what, as we descend, it can't be a clunky descent. Otherwise, it's right. just going to take the audience out of it. And so when, when we were doing things like keeping the shot on, keeping the shot off, it really was about just trusting your instincts. When you watch it on screen, well, John, sometimes John would go, hey, don't look at something for two days. I'm working on stuff. And then I want you to come and take a look at it. And it's just, you go based mm -hmm. off of your instinct. And you go, that feels right. Yeah. Um, and then also at the same time, I was also very cognizant about two men watching footage on this you know the, again this is a very sort of uh a female forward film so what we would do is we would actually bring women into the editing room mm -hmm. and like my wife his wife and we go you you guys tell us because sometimes there'd be times where him and i just go we just don't know we just don't know about this and we would bring in our wives and then they would actually help a lot and go you know what that's too long this is the right point where you should stop it because your emotions are right there and so i was very cognizant about having female presence in the editing room while we do it because again i wanted to be very sensitive to the whole thing mm -hmm. so and well, do it right i mean well you know i have to say you you just said a little bit ago about you know you had trepidation about you as a guy directing this film and you were sure a female director would have done it i having seen your work here i think the male perspective a male director telling this story i think is better than had you know, a female director or many of the female directors that I've seen their work um, because there might have been a tendency because they're too close. They're a woman. A woman's going through this on her body. And whenever you start talking about women and their bodies, you know, all hell breaks loose. And True. and I think that your the overall message and the overall objectivity of looking at this so that more people will understand the issue, I think it might have gotten lost in the hands of a female director. I'm not maligning female directors, but I just think on something that is this emotional for women on more levels than men, I think that you might not have been presented as evenly and as objectively as you have done. Thank you so much for that. I put so much thought into it to make sure that both sides are represented properly. Um, you know, and, and you don't let the emotions get the best of you. Cause again, the patients I'm close with, they were all women. Mm -hmm. So to hear them talk about their marital strives and this and yeah. that, it, you know, even I, I used to ask myself whether I was the right person to be doing this because I might be too close to it. Mm -hmm. um, and the first draft of the script was actually too medical. And I remember um, I had three women read it. Um, and luckily, my inner circle is all women. I'm mm -hmm. my best friend, one of my producing partners, and my wife. All of them read it first, and they sign off on it. And all of them went, and the first time around, uh, this is boring. <laughs> you need to find <laughs> another angle because it's too medical. It's too medical. It's just you're sitting there. It's a how-to. It's a how-to manual on IBS. Oh, it's, well. This is not a movie. And so I went, okay, 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 okay. I understand. And so, so then when I realized this is not an IBS movie, this is a marital drama yes. with the undercurrent of fertility issues. The catalyst. Once I got that locked in as a writer, then it all clicked. And then when they read it, all of them went, yes, this is it. Mm -hmm. This is what you need to go make, Darren. You got it right. And so once I had their blessing, that's when I went with it. But it, it's, you know. Yes, it, it was. It wasn't easy. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm curious, how, how was this leap for you going from comedy into drama? What was that learning curve like for you? Now that you've jumped back into the filmmaking arena. So the great thing was, and I think this is kind of a, a, a 
just great fortune, no, not great fortune that it happened, but the pandemic brought about a lot of positive things, I think, in our all of our lives. Like we were able to refocus on what we want to focus on and things like that. Mm-hmm. This That pandemic gave me time to do blocking rehearsals. With these actors who had never done drama before, I had never done drama before, we literally spent three, four times as much time in pre-production as we normally would have. I mean, I would have them in the actual spaces, blocking rehearsing it, and we would go through every line of dialogue, and I would have to sign off on it. I mean, it was intense. Like, you don't shoot movies like this anymore, from what I know. Like, you know, when you have bigger actors that show up on set and they do it, and you get one roundtable reading before then. We didn't do that. I mean, these actors workshopped all of this stuff. I mean, they were over at my house. We were doing COVID testing, and we were just going through line after line after line. And we, I, I had them. That was actually my kitchen. The last scene in the film, that's my kitchen. I had them in that position, running those lines over and over and over again, making sure nothing sounded weird, making sure they could pull off each and every line. Because, again, they were newer actors. So mm-hmm. if there's anything that I just felt like wasn't coming out of their mouth right, then we rewrote it. Mm-hmm. We rewrote it to their strengths. And that's how, because that because I was so worried about it. I was like, I don't know drama. I don't understand it. But right. when I see it, I know that I got something. So we rehearsed this thing probably down to a point where it was exhausting for them. But the results show on screen. And the actors produced something that is far beyond, I think, their skill set. I mean, they really leveled up during the course of this film by doing it. Uh, neither of them had ever done a drama, and you could never tell by watching this movie that they had never no, done that. No, absolutely. So. You cannot tell that by any stretch of the imagination. Well, you know, before I let you go today, I have to I have to ask you, you know, you shot the whole thing in the Houston area, all, all Houston cast, crew. Texas has great filmmaking communities down there. The Houston area is one of them. How important was it to you, besides the fact that lockdown, pandemic, COVID, minimal travel, uh, how important was it to you to make this really a community piece? So my, my productions are a, an extension of myself. And I'm, I'm a person deep-rooted in family. I'm deep-rooted in community. And so when I go to make a movie, it's not just, hey, you know, I'm casting you to come on set, do your thing and, and you know, see it. No, no, you become a part of, of our community. You know, we, we interact, we talk, we, we work on these lines together. We spent countless nights just having dinner, just talking through these things. And this is true with my crew as well. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, a, I'm a very just, it's Southern hospitality. Maybe mm-hmm. you call it Southern hospitality, but I have that deep rooted in me because I, I grew, you know, I was raised here. And so you know, the Houston film community is very much the same way. And I take all of my casting recommendations, my crew recommendations through the word of mouth. I don't post casting calls. Mm-hmm. So everyone comes really well recommended to each other. And it was just a great community and a great collaboration amongst everyone. I mean, my lighting guys, I learned so much from my lighting guys, my sound guys, you know, even the auxiliary cast came in and they did a fantastic job and they, they lended so much support and expertise to the main actors as well, too. And it was just such a beautiful, collaborative just environment. And, and that's exactly what I want my productions to be. Um, there was never any strife. We were on time, on schedule. <laughs> we were very over rehearsed, which made for <laughs> shorter days of shooting. You know, just word of mouth in in the community down here has been really great about this production. And that just goes a long way when we want to continue doing more in the future, you know. And you really showcased the the area beautifully. So many locations, Taryn. Some beautiful restaurants, neighborhoods, you know, a nice shopping district, walking down the street. Really nicely showcasing. And then some beautiful drone, you know. Drone shots getting a whole, you know, setting, so to speak, setting the stage. Really nice work. Thank you. I mean, we're one of the biggest cities in the U.S. We have a lot of diversity all over the city in terms of location and locality. And so it'd be a shame not to showcase all that. Well, now everybody can watch Conception on Apple TV and Prime Video right now. That's right. Thank you. Please go check it out. Support independent films. They need a lot of love to get where they need to go. Uh, I love indie films with every fiber of my being. Uh, And 
this is one of those films that, yes, I encourage people highly to see it. Um, it is on Apple TV right now, Prime Video right now. Any theatrical on this one at this point? No, no. we didn't get theatrical okay. through our distributor Gravitas, but, um, but digital. That's where we're at, and hopefully in a couple of months we can get on an even bigger platform once it's out of its um, rental uh, window. Terrific. Oh, Taryn, this has been so wonderful having you on the show to talk about Conception today. I hope you'll come back on the show again. I hope you'll make another film. I intend to. I intend to, and thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for your feedback in the film. It felt so, I just felt so loved hearing everything you Aww. had to say. I mean, it's been, you know, these things are a labor of love. There's so much yeah. time and energy and love spent in them, and it's just great to see people that appreciate it. So thank you so much. Uh, well, I definitely appreciate all the work you put into this one and the story that you're telling for people out there. Taryn, thank you, thank you so much, and you have a great rest of your day and week. Thank you. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> bye-bye. And that was Taryn Verma, director, uh, writer, director, producer of Conception on Apple TV Prime Video. All right, I've loaded you up with a bunch of really great stuff to watch this week. Also, don't forget Frost. Frost is fabulous with Vernon Wells and Devaney Penn. Uh, it's a real, it's a fun one. It's a fun one. And that's out there digitally now, too, as well. Well, that is all the time we have this week. I'm not sure what we're doing next week. On Halloween, though, we have a big surprise for you that I can't give out yet. I can't tell you yet. Uh, and next week, we may have some spooky fun next week, too. But until then, check out everything on BehindTheLensOnline.net. And until then, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. Thank <laughs> you.